Avengers, Age of Ultron is garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. <laughs> what is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Denny Geek Presents Marvel Standing Live where each week we give you the deepest possible dives on all the goings-on in the MCU, Marvel Comics, and beyond. And this week, we've got a pretty momentous episode of Ms. Marvel to get to, so I'm going to get right to it. But first and foremost, with me for all time and always, we have Denny Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard and Denny Geek TV Editor Alec Bajalin. And once again, we have our special guest, the scene-stealing Denny Geek Audience Development Coordinator Mosna Shahzad. Uh, let's get right into it because a lot happens in this episode and there's a lot of big implications for the wider MCU. Kirsty, why don't you tell us how it went down? Well, in the third episode of Ms. Marvel, we get some much needed exposition about the history of Kamala's mysterious bangle and why Cameron's mother was so eager to meet her. Najma is the leader of the clandestines, or the Jinn, if you prefer, who were once exiled from their own dimension and are very keen to return, some would say too keen, with Kamala's help. After her great-great-grandmother disappeared in the 1940s and left them high and dry without that powerful bangle to begin their journey home. When Bruno discovers that using the bangle to send the jinn home would be dangerous, Kamala breaks the news to Najma and the jinn go on the warpath, attacking Kamala at her brother's wedding and unlocking a vision of a train. Kamala's grandmother, who was also able to see the vision, then demands that Kamala and her mother travel to Karachi immediately. And a lot happens, like, literally from the opening minute of this episode. So why doesn't everybody just start... Uh, tell me what your broad impressions of it were, because for me, I wouldn't say this is my favorite episode of the series or anything like that, but it is the one that felt like it had the most place within the MCU itself, you know, and a lot of that has to do with that opening scene. But then as the episode unfolds, we get a better sense of what Kamala's powers mean for the MCU, uh, her place within the wider MCU. So I think there's a lot happening here. I'm fully invested at this point. Like I was already invested in the characters. And I think we talked about this last week where it's like, you know what? If this was just like an episodic TV, an episodic TV series, that would be great. That would be fine, you know? But now that we're seeing how this fits in with the bigger story of whatever phase four and phase five of the MCU is going to be. Now I'm like fully in. Mosna, what did you think? There were a lot of things in the episode that I liked, but um, I'm also concerned by a lot of the stuff that we're headed. So I love them showing Kamala's culture, the wedding, the ritual, ceremony, um, and all of that without needing to like break it down for Marvel's very large white audience. Um, showing that the show is true for the people it is representing. Um, so they shed some light on the discrimination that Muslims face in the United States. And we finally see Nakia in the element she truly, truly represents. That's a voice to her people. Um, we see this episode down deeper into colonial rule um, and highlight how much was taken from our culture. Um, even if it's just one line, it, that really meant a lot to me. Um, the dances were amazing. It made me miss like weddings back home. A lot, a lot of that was great. 
Um, but I'm slightly concerned about this gin angle that the show is taking. Um, and we can talk more about it when we get into the nitty gritty of, of the stuff and when people give like a broad feeling view of this. But yeah, I'm not I'm not very happy with, with where they're heading right now. Percy, how about you? Yeah, I thought it was a pretty decent episode. Um, I was, I, I was, I'm just like you, Mike. I'm totally in it, and you know, there was really not much action happening in the first, you know, three quarters of this episode. But I certainly didn't feel it. I didn't think it was slow or anything like that. I'm just happy to be around these people. Even this, these moments of exposition, which you usually quite like, all right, let's get through it. You know, um, there was this one moment where Kamala's dad comes into Bruno's like, uh, I guess it's, is it a deli or a grocery store? I don't know what you guys call it over there, but he comes in and he picks up some of the research that Bruno has been doing and he starts reading it to him. And like that, could have been quite dull just sort of getting through that as just another yet another bit of exposition in this in this episode but I just love these two so much that I was just quite happily listening to it and, and enjoying it um, and I think that speaks to um, how well the show has created these characters for the screen and um, how well the actors are playing them um, I just find everything about this show delightful and I'm um, I find it really hard to be like mean about it because I can't think of anything to be mean about, really. That sounds like my cue. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no. you're on, Alec. <laughs> uh, no, I do like this show. I, and I feel like I like the same things about it that you guys do, but I just kind of like it a little bit less. Uh, and this week is a good example um, because I really was into how they kind of built this into the Marvel lore a little bit at the beginning, which I know we're, again, I'm going to go in depth on in a moment, but I like tying it, in, tying it into the Marvel lore like that. And I like the characters and I like the specificity of like the cons, Pakistani American world. It's fantastic. Um, but it's also kind of grafted onto this traditional Marvel storytelling structure that is just getting a bit like old long in the tooth or is that the, is that a phrase whatever old it's getting old for me and it's not just like kind of getting old for me but I, I i'm a little frustrated at how like literally old a lot of the characters presented are um like one thing that was so refreshing about miss marvel from the get-go is how like how young the characters are and how like fresh and vibrant and funny they are uh and it's just like a little annoying and trying my patience that um the big bad of the series or the, the big thing we're going to be focusing on from here on out are, you know, timeless gins in like old people bodies and like delving into the Khan family history of other old people. There's just too much old people floating around in this series for me for what should be like a really lovely, fun show about young person Kamala Khan and her friends doing young person people things and discovering themselves in like this power, which is in there, 
it's just starting to get a little bit covered up by some of the other traditional old people marble things, which I think is a bit of a drag. Well, that's maybe something that I like about it is that it is sort of pitting this older generation against, you know, the young up and coming generation and uh, where they're different and how differently they see things and uh, how important certain things are to them versus, you know, old, perhaps older traditions. Like I, I don't know. I mean, I'm enjoying that aspect of it, I guess. And I, I like the fact that the old people are bad guys. You know, we talked about this a little bit in, in last week and the week before, just the similarities in tone and kind of structure to what you would expect, like, like a Spider-Man story to be, like an early career Spider-Man story. And it's funny that you both say that because a key element of Spider-Man stories is like, like a struggle between generations. Like it is not a coincidence that Spider-Man is a teenage character or, you know, a college age or whatever, like, but you know, mostly like his early stories, like it's canonically, he's 15 when he gets his powers. All of his villains are not just older, but like old, you know? Um, so whether it's, you know, it's not necessarily intentional here with Ms. Marvel, but it is just another little parallel uh, between how they're presenting Kamala's heroic journey and the way that we've seen Spider-Man stories play out over the decades. I, I agree with you both. I, I think that I also think it is kind of intentional. Like I think they were kind of going for that. Um, and I, I like what you said, Kirsten, in theory, like I do like presenting sort of a, a difference in opinion in generations uh, as a theme for the show. Maybe I'm just bummed that it's only six episodes um, because it feels like we're getting into that really quickly, like where we could be otherwise spend, if this were a traditional TV series of, I don't know, like 12 episodes or something, we could spend more time getting to know Kamala before we have her as an avatar for all young people in the eternal struggle against the olds. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk a little bit, speaking of young people, about the viewership numbers for this, because while the overall numbers are not quite what we normally associate with Marvel stuff. The demographic breakdown is definitely skewing younger. So they're doing something right here. But Kirsty, why don't, why, don't uh, why don't you elaborate on this a little bit for everybody? So Ms. Marvel is the least watched premiere of all the Disney plus MCU shows. Samba TV reports that only 775,000 households watched Ms. Marvel in the first five days of release. Um, if we look at like um, the next one up from Ms. Marvel in terms of viewership, you've got Hawkeye and that's, you know, over double that at uh, 1.5 million. My math isn't very good, actually. It might, might just be you know, in that vicinity. So, um, and then you've got um, WandaVision, which had 1.6 million. Uh, Moon Knight and Falcon and the Winter Soldier both had 1.8 million in the first five days. And Loki is the clear leader at the moment. You know, 2.5 million people watched the premiere of Loki in the first five days. But yeah, there's a lot of things that, um, 
are factors in that. Um, Ms. Marvel, like Moon Knight, is a brand new hero for the MCU. People don't have the connection to her that they have for people like Hawkeye or Loki. Um, as Lee is saying in the comments here, yes, they've put it up against Obi-Wan Kenobi for the first three episodes, which can't have helped at all. And it does feel like the marketing behind this show is uh, is a little bit lacking in uh, comparatively to some of their other shows. Um, Iman Vellani is also completely, um, you know, basically unknown to people, whereas Oscar Isaac is, was a big name for Moon Knight, so a lot of people were intrigued with that. There are a lot of factors, um, but I, I do think that uh, from what I can tell from my research, a uh, younger viewership are tuning into Ms. Marvel than the other, all the other shows. And also, it's reaching a more diverse audience, which I think is, is you know, natural and important. So um, I don't think it's bad news per se for Ms. Marvel. What I am wondering about is how that affects the audience that goes to see the Marvels later on and perhaps haven't watched this show, maybe didn't watch WandaVision either, and are now being, you know, reintroduced to Carol Danvers alongside Kamala Khan and Monica Rambeau and just don't have much of a clue who the other two are and how the film will handle that. As we've just seen with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, there were a lot of people that hadn't watched WandaVision who were a bit lost in what was happening with Wanda's story. So it will be interesting to see whether there are any changes to the narrative in the Marvels and how they in either reintroduce these two or, or not, as the case may be. Yeah, we've talked about this in some form, you know, in episodes in the past. And and the MCU is like, I mean, in general, Disney is running the risk of oversaturating the market with Marvel and Star Wars stuff, you know, and the inconsistent quality of, you know, things like the Book of Boba Fett and Moon Knight, uh, you know, and frankly, Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, is not necessarily helping the case with, like, returning viewers, Um you know, what if like, what if turned out to be really good, but like, it didn't feel like it was like a must watch. I don't think anybody kept their Disney plus subscription going so that they could watch what if, you know, like the, the danger with this shared cinematic universe thing has always been at one point, does it get so sprawling that it comes intimidating for, you know, for newer audiences? You know, it's the problem that comic books have had for my entire life. You know, it's like, well, I want to read comics, but where do I start? Like, I pick up a Spider-Man comic. It's nothing like a Spider-Man story that I would see in the movies. And like, ah, da, 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 da. and like, we are, we're starting to bump up against that a little bit now with the MCU. And meanwhile, the first two episodes of Ms. Marvel are like the most perfect entry point for the character you could possibly imagine. It's like, here is Marvel Studios presenting this character in a fully formed supporting cast. And now like logic and rationale for her power set and everything here it is on a silver platter like if you if you want to read the comics you can read those and those are just like a perfect entry point for anybody who just wants to get into comics too but yeah what's going to happen when this movie comes out next summer you know and and only a million people or less watched the show where one of the three most important characters was introduced it's it's a weird thing they're they're blowing it with the marketing uh, and it's really bumming me out because this show is terrific. And we've just found out recently that Amon doesn't have a small part in the Marvels. She is one of the main characters, you know, and and that's going to be a big deal, I think. 
And interestingly, uh, Code Monkey in the comments, and this is something that I've theorized about as well. So thank you for confirming confirming this. He says, I tend to watch more, you know, kind of interesting, but not must watch for now shows in the winter months when it's dark out in the evenings. And I think we do have to factor this into a, a, a little bit with Ms. Marvel's viewership numbers right now is it's coming at the start of the summer, you know, and it's coming at the start of a summer after another winter where everybody was like locked down and living in fear because of a pandemic. And suddenly everybody is free to go out and see their friends and do stuff again. So I'm hoping that word of mouth will continue to carry Ms. Marvel to success. I understand that not everything is going to be the kind of cultural phenomenon that one that WandaVision was or like, you know, or that not everything has the kind of pull that Tom Hiddleston's Loki does. But like it bums me out so much seeing shows as delightful as Hawkeye and Ms. Marvel coming in on the lower end of viewership for these shows. Lee has a good point in the comments, uh, comments and like, Speaking as the TV editor of this outlet, um, we've been getting absolutely shelled <laughs> with like new shows in June. This is the most competitive and overwhelming month of television, of major television releases that I can remember, maybe ever. I will say, Percy, how you mentioned a more diverse group is watching the show. Um, I think those numbers matter to me more than anything else. Um, yes. One, people who are in this show, who, uh, who the show represents to be playing it. I will say, you know, Disney Plus should just give us um, the subscription in Pakistan because honestly, like the population alone, the viewership will go up, like the people will watch. And we're only like, we're, right now they're only doing that on theater. So they're like two episodes um, releasing um, and that's like great. But if you've had Disney Plus, like, because it's for a Pakistani audience, they'd be watching it. I honestly don't understand why they had to release it right when Obi-Wan Kenobi was going on, and especially today, because Doctor Strange 2 is coming out, you have the finale, and you have Miss Marvel, so that's that seems like it. It's a very good point, Muzna, about the, diver the diversity of the audience, because, you know, whenever Marvel releases a project with with a female lead, you know, the the idiots who know nothing, not only about the industry, but also about the content that they claim to love are always the first to like crow about how, ah, you see, you go woke, you, you go broke. Oh, Captain Marvel uh, underperformed that the, no, it didn't like, like, and, and I, I'm sorry, I apologize to any idiots out there. Actually, no, I don't like the people that the people that do this stuff don't know what they're talking about and they don't even like truly appreciate the stuff that they claim to love. And what Marvel is doing and what a lot of studios are doing and what DC is doing very well in the comics right now, whenever they are centering more diverse casts, like they, they're, they're not doing this for the immediate hit. Like they are setting themselves up for the future. And the reason for that is for my entire life, comics and superheroes and sci-fi stories have been targeted directly at and for me. And that's great. Like, and I've enjoyed it. That's terrific. <laughs> but like, but the thing is what, what we've seen in comics for years is readership numbers continue to shrink because people either age out 
or, you know, like they age up and they die. And, <laughs> and so to prevent that from happening with the MCU, you need to, you need to get other audiences in here and this is the way to do it. So I'm really like, I, I have complete faith that the quality of this show is going to win out. And this is, you know, like, I think this is the way to do it, you know, and it doesn't mean that these other stories that, you know, are, are meant to appeal to the traditional fan are going to stop getting told, you know, it's not a zero sum game. So people need to stop thinking like that. Also, I mean, like we, we have somewhat of a, somewhat of a vested interest in Marvel being successful. Cause like a lot of our, you know, our jobs are built around it. Like we are doing this, um, having Marvel stuff to comment on is good. So Marvel's success is generally good, but at the same time, like who cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> I genuinely don't care how many people, like how much money Miss Marvel is or is not making for Marvel. If the goal is to produce, and I know it's not because it's a giant corporation, but if the goal for the people making it is to produce good art that speaks to people they want it to speak to, then that's a success. And I think it's a success on that level. Um, I get like, I get wanting to keep an eye on like Kevin Feige's bottom line and like making sure that he's comfortable and things are going well when you're invested in something as a fan. But at the same time, like, I think priority number one should be to enjoy something or not enjoy something. And then priority number two is to count Kevin Feige's pennies. Lee makes a good point as well in the comments just about how like it, like word of mouth is the thing right now. And the perfect example is everything everywhere all at once. Here's a movie that made a fraction at the box office of what Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Kirsty's favorite movie. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> Like for those of you listening later, like listening to this later, Kirsty is like barely uh, holding back the urge to reach through the screen and strangle me right now. Um, I thought but, you were going to say Kirsty is barely holding on to sanity, and I was ready to like, be like you know what? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, everything, tell. everywhere, all at once is the perfect example of something made a fraction of Doctor Strange 2's box office. But people are still talking about that movie. Look how quickly Doctor Strange 2, a movie that I enjoyed, but look how quickly that just like faded from the discourse. People stopped talking about that movie 10 days after it opened. People are still talking about and discovering everything everywhere all at once. So bring it. Like, like I will be, I'm happy to recommend Ms. Marvel to anybody that is just like looking for good feel-good TV for months to come. They kept talking about everything everywhere all at once because it's great. They stopped talking about Doctor Strange 2 because it's garbage. <laughs> and history will be on my side, Mike. History's <laughs> been on your side with Eternals so far, so... Has it? We shall see. <laughs> uh, not, oh, Musna is not thrilled. <laughs> Marvel standum go one week without mentioning Eternals Challenge. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't stop talking about her, can you? You just can't stop talking about Eternals. You're obsessed with her. Oh, I see. I see Arnov's back in the comments as well. Uh, he was uh, he was dropping some quality Eternals hate for us last week. Uh, <laughs> it's like we said the magic word and, and you arrived. Good to see you again. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. Uh, anyway, I feel like we've taken this we've taken the show way off course. Uh, let's 
Let's go. Let's talk about the opening scene of this week. Folks, we're talking spoilers, by the way. So if you haven't watched this week's Ms. Marvel and you don't want to be spoiled, you don't want to be spoiled. You don't want to be spoiled. Now's your <laughs> chance. Uh, but that opening scene is a big deal because we get our first real indication of what the origin of the bangle is. And there are ties to at least two other major MCU franchises there. Um, so for me, the thing that stuck out is that this bangle was taken off the corpse of a Cree, which is really cool. Um, like, not that I, I'm not endorsing grave robbing folks, but like, just go with me for a second here. So I'm going to get a little nerdy here. My theory has been for a while that, that the bangle is one of the nega bands, which is something that's tied to Marvel's original Captain Marvel, you know, Marvel, who again was a very different character in the Captain Marvel movie. We don't have to get into that, but the Negabands are very powerful cosmic artifacts. Well, we'll talk about this in a minute, but anyway, they're very powerful <laughs> and they are tied to the, you know, Marvel's original Captain Marvel, who is a Kree warrior. So this was taken off, uh, taken off a dead Kree, but other folks have noticed some other interesting things in that scene that bring up implications for other areas of the MCU as well. Kirsty, do you want to start us off there? Oh, me? Okay. Um, yeah, so it seems like the temple that they found the bangle in was uh, dedicated to the Ten Rings, and that means our man Wenwu from Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, now, did he fight a Kree there in the temple and the arm was left? Um, did he keep it as a collectible, like uh, his other artifacts, um, with the arm attached? Because why not? I mean, who knows how uh, how when we was thinking back then. But um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. I wasn't expecting to get a Shang Chi uh, connection here, and I'm I'm wondering whether this is heading towards not just perhaps Captain Marvel are showing up in the show later on now, but maybe Wong, maybe Katie, maybe Shang Chi. Um, there could be uh, there's actually quite a lot of cameos to pick from now outside of you know Brie Larson, so that's interesting. But it has implications for the MCU, I think. And um, we've been talking a lot about the MCU's wristwear recently. Um, the MCU's Phase 4 is obsessed with wristwear. It's not just like Hawkeye's wife's watch, Doctor Strange's watch, <laughs> you know, the broken watch, um, the, the, the Unimind that the Eternals had. Yeah, we're talking Eternals again. Mm? Yeah, come at me. Um, and then you've got the, the Ten Rings and now the Bangle, or bang, um, one, one missing. Um, so, yeah, there's just a lot going on here, but uh, I'm interested to see how it plays out and how it's connected to uh, the Jin and the Kree and how they've come together and where when we fits in, really. Mosna, if I remember correctly, you had pretty strong feelings about how you wanted the origins of, of Kamala's powers to be treated. So what do these developments mean for you? When I saw that uh, Kree Han, my, my, my whole instinct was like, oh, inhuman, right? That's, that we were correct and that's where we're heading. And then they're just like, no, he's a djinn, which is like, I don't understand why Marvel uh, refuses to listen here because djinn as a concept, um, in Islam, they play a really big part, but they're also very complicated because there's so many misconceptions. 
I just want to like really go over what they are just very quickly. Um, so Quran has a whole chapter dedicated to jinns, their creations of God. Um, they're made of fire. Um, and just like humans, they also have free will. That's what sets them apart from animals and angels. And they can be, they can't be seen by humans. So we like to think of them as existing in a parallel world. They're living amongst us, not disturbing us, just living their own lives like we are. Um, so that's the whole thing. There are, of course, bad seeds um, in genes like in humans um, that kind of like take you astray or possess you in some rare cases. Um, the devil himself is also a jinn. All of this is like a huge part in the Quran, in the religion. And every female, every household in Pakistan would have like one story or one ghostly thing about jinn, like something happened, right? Um, now, my problem with having jinn here is you, you take that word and Hollywood has taken that one cultural thing that they know about us and one or a mythical creature that they know and they've kind of squeezed it in into their stories. So um, you have jinns portrayed in a completely different way than who they are. They're not demons. They're not wish-granting genies in a lamp. And they're definitely not some evil being feeding on you while you hallucinate. Um, and I'm very concerned about how they're going to deal with this concept. I know jinns are also a part of the MC in the Marvel comics, um, but just like stating that, I know that's gonna hurt like a lot of Muslims there because everyone has a different story. Everyone has a different concept of jinns and I don't want them to like um, make it into, you know, like when I was talking about exoticizing the whole religion and faith, I don't want that happening. That's why I was just like, you're treading a very thin line here. It's like, there is a very thin line between appropriate culture representation and disrespecting. Um, and I'm just very worried about that here. Do you think they're coming down on the wrong side of it already? Or is it too early to tell? It is too early to tell. They have just introduced it right now. They threw the word there. You know, like the first episode when the dad has some problems with Zuzu, I would tell Bruno that Zuzu is possessed by Jin. That that line alone was cringy enough for me. Like I was just like, no, you don't need. It felt very like forceful, like inserted there. And you know, there's just one thing that Muslims would think about, like that be Jin. Like that's all we talk about apparently. But like, so even that was cringy. And you making that into like a whole concept. I don't know if that's what they're doing. Maybe this is all like a lie. And in the end, it's actually in humans, which I'm really, really hoping for. Uh, but like, yeah, maybe they handle it really well because the, the big part of Hollywood, um, like kind of dealing with Jin's War Wrong was because white writers were behind all of this. And now you have a team of like people of color, you have Pakistanis, you have Muslims. So I'm, I'm hoping that, that at least they realize that this is like a big win that they're hitting. So they have to be, because this is religion. They have to like make sure that they're doing this right and not disrespecting anything. Alec, I feel like we've left you out of this discussion <laughs> about the momentous opening scene, and I apologize. Oh, I don't care. I'm barely paying attention. Oh, my God. I'm pretty bored. <laughs> um, the visual settings on my laptop might be must be like pretty dark because I didn't realize it was a Cree arm. I was like, oh, wow, that is... 
that is quite the corpse. <laughs> it was just like a recently dead, like blue human <laughs> being. <laughs> so yeah, we were talking, you guys were talking about this Cree arm. Like, what are you talking about? The timing is interesting because wasn't it just like yesterday or the day before that um, Kevin Feige mentioned that like, you know, they do have a big plan for the next Infinity Saga. Um, and it, it feels like, it feels like Shang-Chi came out like 40 years ago and like everybody's forgotten about it. But I felt like Shang-Chi, the post credit scene, like pretty clearly set up kind of the direction that this whole saga would be going in and that it would be like maybe like the cosmic origin of um, this Ten Rings artifact on Earth and like how that kind of sets up all these other important relics. Like we have the bangle, we have the 10 rings, like like you said, Kirsty. So I'm a little surprised at actually how neatly Miss Marvel fits into the loose outline of what appears to be the next quote unquote infinity saga. Yes. And it would make sense because let's face it, like Carol Danvers has to be an important part of, you know, the MCU going forward. And be considering how closely they're tying Kamala to Carol, then like kind of where one goes, the other has to go. And this is where I stopped myself with the Negabands before, because this is just like pure fan theory nonsense right now. When Marvel was Captain Marvel in, in the Marvel comics of the 70s and early 80s and stuff, there was a period where he had to exist in this in this other dimension in this like negative zone and would switch places with somebody on earth and the way he would do that was like they like they were both wearing these nega bands and they'd like clamp them together and like you would switch so basically like this rick jones character would like become you know would like summon captain marvel that way back from this dimension where he was trapped in Obviously, they're not going that route as a, you know, as a broad gimmick for for Kamala or Carol. Right. But I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the Marvels, something happens to Carol where she has to be placed in some kind of like stasis dimension or whatever. And it ends up being Kamala who has to use the nega bands to, to bring her back. You know, um, I feel like if these things are definitely the nega bands, and I think it is, there's no way the MCU doesn't find some way to just like nod to that piece of history. You know, it's not going to be the main thing by any means. You know, I mean, like that was the key gimmick of the Captain Marvel character for years. You know, it's not going to be like that. But the MCU is very good about just like taking little pieces of their comic book history, stuff that feels a little silly and outdated, like this concept, and just giving it a little bit of a spin, letting, letting the comic book fans know that like, yes, here, like we acknowledge that this is a thing and now we're moving on and telling our story. And I, I don't know, just a theory. I'll stop now. I mean, I've had a, I've had about eight wild theories since I saw that Cree arm this morning, Mike. You're not alone. I was like, maybe they're not Jin. Maybe they're Skrulls because that makes sense. And and then like an hour later, I'm like, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. I don't know what I'm thinking right now. I I need to see these last three episodes quite badly. I mean, I guess the simplest explanation, and Muzna, I imagine this is the one that might satisfy you the most, is just that they're lying, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going with that. Like, till they actually 
say that no, it's actually there are jinn. I'm going to go with there is. It just makes more sense to me. It's the least one that wouldn't hurt anyone's sentiments. Um, so I, I do think, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with the inhuman explanation. To, like it explicitly are like, and you, you've seen like adults, like with teenage superheroes, you've seen them manipulate them. So you saw them in Far From Home with, um, um, I'm forgetting, Mysterio. Mysterio, am I saying it right? Yes. He was manipulating um, Spider-Man all along. So um, I see that happening to Kamala. Like, why not? So maybe they're lying and they're not just like telling them what it is. And they did say that, um, they never saw Aisha ever again after that. And I, I do think that's a big lie. I do think they saw her again. They definitely found her um, and probably a fight took place. So they're, they're keeping things from her. And I think this could be a lie as well. You know, there is a potential answer in the pages of the comics. I mean, they like, we tell them, they tell us like who they are to some degree. And it's this clandestine, right? And there have been like, that is a thing in Marvel comics that I have never read anything, <laughs> not one. Like clandestine was, was a late eighties Marvel series. The brilliant Alan Davis is one of the creators and never read so much as a panel of a story featuring any member of the clandestine. Haven't had time to go and do my homework before this episode. So like, Maybe the answer is staring us right in the face from the pages of the comics. Like we just have to unpack it and figure out how they're MCUing it. Because, you know, last week we were dancing around Cameron because of, you know, the, the, Lisa asked me if I'm even a Marvel fan. Look, even I get stumped sometimes, kid. It happens. We were dancing around Cameron because, you know, I didn't want to spoil where they were taking him. Because in the comics, he's an inhuman, like, you know, like, like Kamala, he was like a recently converted inhuman, but he was not a good guy. Like he was very much drinking like the Kool-Aid of, you know, these, these bad inhumans who were trying to do stuff. Whereas here they've taken him in completely the other direction. So I think it's fair to say, like, I think it's fair to talk about his arc here. Um, so there's, there's definitely something else at work. But even if you look to the comics, it's not necessarily going to give you the answers that you're, you know, that you're looking for. I will say I don't trust Tamron still. Really? Like, no. I feel like there's <laughs> something. It, the comics kind of ruined his character for me. Like I saw him in the show and I'm just like, you're going to betray her trust. You are definitely doing that. Um, and I, I still don't trust him. Like the scene where he um, takes her and, her and his mother are sitting um, like on the back seat, there's that kind of transition to the comics where he kind of picks her up and takes her to lineage, who's got a big baggy inhuman villain. Um, so I thought that was happening, and I was like, "There's no way this guy is turning good. There has to, there has to be something, some trick up his sleeve." I don't trust him at all. Also because I love Bruno, but for the sake of that, so do you think he's like playing another game, or he's just gonna have a change of heart? I do, I do think he's playing another game. Um, I, I'm very concerned that they haven't introduced the father yet. They've all gone, I'm, I'm assuming they've been taken somewhere, like not prison, but maybe like 
superhuman jail or something. Um, and and I'm assuming that he's going, the dad's going to arrive and he's going to have some kind of change of heart. Or, like children get manipulated all the time. I'm pretty sure um, there's an arc here. He, they're not going to make, they're not going to have two good guys in Kamala's life. That's a lot. Like That's like a love triangle, proper love triangle. I do, I do think that there's, there's something at play here. Any other theories? No, I liked um, Bruno's line of "I don't know, I don't know how to help a bunch of ghosts and their average-looking son." <laughs> <laughs> that was the best line of the series so far. It kind of reminded me of um, that Thor line in Endgame, where Chris Pratt is like um, when he's talking about Chris Hemsworth, like Thor. To uh, Spider Man and Iron Man, he's just like, oh yeah, not good looking at all. And you're just, and you see Peter Parker, like, that doesn't sound right. Like, it just reminds me of that. On a far less heavy note, like we should talk about the wedding that clandestine ruined. Just to me, it's just an example of of. The, the honestly, the primary reason I'm watching this show at this point, which is just to watch a bunch of characters who I really like interact you know like that wedding looked like a blast you know like that wedding like, looked like a good time but i'm just amazed like here we are three episodes into this show and i'm more invested in like any given one of kamala's aunties than i was <laughs> in any main character in moon knight after six episodes you know like i would just watch these characters talk you know and just in the background it's you know kamala being you know shady and feeling guilty uh <laughs> oh, this like that wedding is like despite all of my little like quibbles and critiques and like it should be doing this should be doing that like that's a prime example of why it is still good like it's so it's so specific. Like the characters are so recognizable. Um, and it's just fun to like watch them do their thing and live their lives. Like it's almost for until the clandestines arrive or what have you. <laughs> you almost forget you're watching a superhero show. They actually showed like, um, cause our weddings are like a week long. There's, um, a, 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 there's a thing happening every day and just seeing it play out with dance practices and all of that, like having them dance and like even parents like joining in, that was great. Um, you, you even see um, an Easter egg where Sana Amanat, who's one of the creators of the character, she was there and you kind of miss it if you don't like consider it because they really try to, for you to catch her because they literally zoom in her face. Um, and, I, and I really liked that she was there. Um, I was laughing because they chose a song from an average movie, Bollywood movie in the 2009 era. And then they picked that song and I'm just like, hi, out of all the songs you could have had, I don't understand the, honestly, I, I missed weddings back home and it just kind of gave me a glimpse of um, our culture there. That was, that was absolutely. That wedding looked like a great party. And well, I've, I've never been to a party that, that looked that fun or was that fun. Um, but I thought it was very rude of the gin to storm the storm that party and ruin it. Like um, I said this in my review, but there is a special place in hell for somebody who upends a buffet table. Like somebody's taken a lot of time to set that out and to make that food, and for you to just 
you know, push it onto the floor, who do you think you are? Um, those were the thoughts that I took away from the wedding. And the jokes land, like you see the brother in between when the fire alarm goes off, he's like, I got to get the money. And you're just like, yeah, that's, that's something that you can <laughs> in a basic household. You have to get the money. Um, and all of the things, like even the smallest things that they paid attention to, the, the ritual of like the heads together um, and then the shoe hiding thing, which is a very common thing that we do when we ask for money from the groom to like get the shoes back. So all of that, like just small things that only people who've ex- have, who have experienced that for forever would know. Like it was just I loved all that. And one extra thing that I love um, about that sequence is that, again, going back to Bruno, like he gets he gets hit so hard, like the (laughs) physics of him, like getting flopped around like a ragdoll are so realistic. It just cracked me up because like a lot of time. Oh, is he going to hit now? Look at this kid. Like oftentimes in these scenes, like when like the sidekick is like taken out of commission in a battle and they have to just like walk on like they're here the whole time. And it's usually just get kind of like gently thrown down by like an extra. But like, yeah, he was <laughs> just vaporized by a chair. <laughs> I, I love that. I like the episode. Like, it's not that I'm going to throw the show away just because like they're introducing something that um, they probably shouldn't handle. But um, I'm only concerned right now. I'm still like very optimistic about it. One of the things that I would like to mention, and I know like in the last episode, we talked about Nakia and then the change of ethnicity. And while that still is an issue um, and a lot of people are talking about it, I seeing her actually stand up to those agents it literally was right up from the comments. Like the line where she um, kind of says, you know, like with the agent is like, this is very serious. And she's like, is it serious because the, the person has enhanced abilities or because they were spotted at a mosque? And ev- like those were like shots fired. Yes, like someone finally saying something, the clap back, it was amazing. And also like seeing and they address it in a very light way but seeing agents just walk in the mosque with their shoes like everything inside me was just like no <laughs> like you can't do this at all like what what is happening and then he the shape of was like yeah you should take your shoes off next time you go there and I was like thank you someone say something about this and that was like very disrespectful but I understand for the show but that scene was like highlight for me throughout the episode the train confounded me uh what 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 can we what can we say about this train here it's a train that's going to karachi because it has a big karachi on it um so that's probably because she says you know i why would i help someone who betrayed me this the bangle starts glowing i'm i don't know is aisha trapped in the bangle i don't understand what is happening because every time they say something about aisha or kind of allude to her, it starts blowing and she sees a glimpse of that. So maybe um, Aisha was on that train and then she got lost or they, there was some kind of fight during when they were feeling. Um, but I'm excited because they kind of say that she's going to go to Karachi. I don't think they shot any scenes in Karachi, so it's probably going to be like something. Um, I will say, because Homeland, they've, they've kind of scarred me after their representation of how Islamabad is supposed to be. 
I'm just like, please, someone like have know what karate is and actually represent it better, like the setting and everything, because they're not a war-torn city. It's a very normal city. So I'm excited about that. That's the train is probably like a glimpse of her past, and Aisha was probably on it. Yeah, if they go to Karachi, I hope somebody hid all those hideous Hollywood filters that make every single thing east of Manhattan look like a desert. I wonder if, just going back to my dopey negaband, you know, uh, Marvel theory, what if it's Aisha who has to be like who we need both bands in order to summon? Like maybe that's how they nod to that piece of Captain Marvel uh, history. I don't know. I'm I'm invested in the mysteries of this show. I'm invested in the characters. Um, you know, I understand Musna's very valid concerns. Uh, we're we're at the halfway point, folks. I feel like next week is going to be a big tell for for what's coming in the world of Ms. Marvel. But that is it for this week's Marvel Stanum. We will be back next week with more from the entirety of the MCU, but especially our favorite corner of Jersey City right now. Make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you are watching or listening right now. Don't forget to check out our web home at denageek.com, please, where you can find all our Marvel coverage. Drop us a line. Let us know your burning questions and what you want us to cover in upcoming episodes. We're at Marvel Standom on Twitter and Instagram. Give those a follow. We're going to have some polls. We'll let you ask questions there. We'll start reading that stuff on air. Don't forget, we also have a DC show. So check out DC Stanham where you can on all major podcast platforms. Uh, last two episodes, we had an interview with the great Bruce Campbell and the great Christopher Priest. Check those out, please. If you came in late, you'll be able to watch this entire episode on, Den- on denigeek.com or at our YouTube home, Denigeek US. Don't forget, you can check out past episodes there and also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you once again to our special guest, Muzna Shahzad. Thanks to Andrew Howley, the best producer in the multiverse. Thank you to Den Geek Social Media Coordinator, Lee Parham, for making sure you all behave yourselves and much more. Make sure you're following our TikTok at Den Geek TV because Lee is doing amazing work over there. And a special shout out to our podcast producer, Michael R., who makes this show all it can be. Most of all, thank all of you for watching, listening, following, subscribing, talking to us, putting up with us. This has been Marvel Standom on the Denny Geek Network. Until next time, remember, folks, we stand together.